Welcome to Emma's podcast. So in today's podcast, we're going to do a little twist again because this is the season for the twist. And after the um, big table uh, that I posted last week for Christmas, we continue with the saga. But this time, it's a collaboration that I did actually with Studio Stargazers. Jenner Zeno has composed the music and I read actually a portion of the compelling speech by Carl Sagan about the pale blue dot that I absolutely love. It's a beautiful speech that he did and it's just wonderful. So I just took an extract of the pale blue dot and this is what we did with it. So enjoy it. Reflect on it. It's just a beautiful speech. All my love, guys. Bye. The spacecraft was a long way from home. Beyond the orbit of the outermost planet and high above the ecliptic plane which is an imaginary flat surface that we can think of as something like a racetrack in which the orbits of the planets are mainly confined. The ship was spinning away from the sun at 40,000 miles per hour. But in early February of 1990, it was overtaken by an urgent message from Earth. Obediently, it turned its cameras back toward the non-distant planets, slewing its scan platform from one spot in the sky to another. It snapped 60 pictures and stored them in digital form on its tape recorder. Then slowly, in March, April, and May, it radioed the data back to Earth. Each image was composed of 640,000 individual pictures element, aka pixels, like the dot in a newspaper, wire photo, or at pointiest painting. The spacecraft was 3.7 billion miles away from Earth, so far away that it took each pixel five and a half hours traveling at the speed of light to reach us. The pictures might have been returned earlier, but the big radio telescopes in California, Spain, and Australia that received these whispers from the edge of the solar system had responsibilities to other ships that plied the sea of space among them. Magellan, born for Venice, and Galileo on his tortuous passage to Jupiter. Voyager 1 
was so high above the ecliptic plane because in 1981 it had made a close pass by Titan, the giant moon of Saturn. Its sister ship, Voyager 2, was dispatched on a different trajectory within the ecliptic plane. And so she was able to perform her celebrated exploration of Uranus and Neptune. The two Voyager robots have explored four planets and nearly 60 more. They are triumph of human engineering and one of the glories of the American space program. They will hear in the history books when much else about our time forgotten. The Voyagers were guaranteed to work only until the Saturn encounter. I thought it might be a good idea just off after Saturn to have them take one last glance homeward. From Saturn, I knew the Earth will appear too small for voyagers to make out any detail. Our planet would be just a point of light, a lonely pixel, hardly distinguishable from the many other point of light voyager could see, nearby planets and far-off suns, but precise because of the obscurity of her world through reveals. Such a picture might be worth having. Mariners had painstakingly mapped the coastline of the continent. Geographers had translated these findings into charts and globes. Photographs of teeny patches of Earth had been obtained first by balloon and aircraft, then by rockets, in brief ballistic flight, and at last by orbiting spacecraft, giving a perspective like the one you achieve by positioning your eyeball about an inch above a large globe. While almost everyone is taught that the Earth is a sphere, with all of us somehow glued to its gravity, the reality of her circumstance did not really begin to sink in until the famous frame, Farling Apollo, photograph of the old Earth, the one taken by Apollo 17 astronaut, on the last journey of human to the moon. It had become a kind of an icon of our age. There's Antarctica at what Americans and Europeans so readily regard as the bottom and then all Africa stretches up above it. You can see Ethiopia, Tanzania and Kenya where the earliest human lived. At the top right are Saudi Arabia and what Europeans call the Near East. Just barely peeking out of the top is the Mediterranean Sea. 
around which so much of our globe civilization emerged, you can make out the blue of the ocean, the yellow-red of the Sahara and the Arabian desert, the brown green of forest and grassland, and yet there is no signs of humans in this picture. Not our reworking of the Earth's surface, not our machines, not ourselves. We are too small and our statecraft is too feeble to be seen by a spacecraft between the Earth and the Moon. From this vantage point, our obsession with nationalism is nowhere in evidence. The Apollo pictures of the whole Earth convey to multitudes something well known to astronomers. On a scale of worlds, to say nothing of stars or galaxies, humans are inconsequential, a thin film of life on an obscure and solitary lump of rock and metal. It seems to me that another picture of Earth, this one taken from a hundred thousand times farther away, might help in the continuing process of revealing to ourselves our true circumstance and condition. It had been well understood by the scientists and philosophers of classical antiquity that the Earth was a mere point in a vast encompassing cosmos. But no one had ever seen it as such. His was our first chance, and perhaps also our last for decades to come. Many in NASA Voyager projects were supportive, but from the outer solar system, the Earth lies very near the Sun, like a moth enthralled around a flame. Do we need to aim the camera so close to the Sun as to risk burning out the spacecraft Vidicon system? Would it be the better to delay until all the scientific images from Uranus and Neptune, if the spacecraft lasted that long were taken. And so we waited. And a good thing too, from 1981 at Saturn to 1986 at Uranus to 1989, when both spacecraft had passed the orbits of Neptune and Pluto, at least the time came, but there were a few instrumental calibration that needed to be done first, and we waited a little longer. Although the spacecraft were in the right spot, the instrument was still working beautifully, and there were no other pictures to take. A few project personnel opposed it. It wasn't science, they said. Then, 
we discovered that the technician device and transmitting the radio commands to Voyager were in cash-strapped NASA to be let off immediately and transferred to other jobs. If the picture were to be taken, it had to be done right then. At the last minute, actually, in the midst of the Voyager 2 encounter with Neptune, the then NASA administrator, Rear Admiral Richard Trulli, stepped in and made sure that these images were obtained. The space scientist, Candy Henson of NASA's Jazz Propulsion Laboratory, GPL, and Caroline Porco of University of Arizona designed the command sequence and calculated the camera exposure times. But for us, it's different. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregated of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religious ideologists and economic doctrines, every hunter and foragers, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every moth and fathers, hopeful child inventor and explorer, every teachers of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there, on a mud of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all of these generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel, the scarcely distinguishable inhabitant of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstanding, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatred. Or posturing, or imagine self-importance, the delusions that we have some privileged position in the universe, are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet? is a lonely speck in a great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. The Earth 
is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit? Yeah. Settle? Not yet. Like it or not, for the moment the Earth is where we make our stand. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceit than this distant image of a teeny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. This was read by Emma DiGallo. The Carl Sagan Pale Blue Dot A Vision of the Human Future in Space.